All right, so I'm going to give a little bit of my testimony and connect it to what we're going to talk about today. So as many of you know, I didn't grow up in the church. I grew up completely unchurched. And then when I was 18, I had what I would describe as a pretty radical conversion experience where God gave me, and I can't call it anything but an epiphany aware of my own sinfulness. I knew that there was a God and I was accountable to Him and I was in big trouble. I knew that there was a big issue there. And I, a couple of days after this epiphany, I, I went to church, I heard the gospel clearly proclaimed, and the guy who was preaching the gospel that day made it really clear, look, if you want to put your faith in Jesus, it means turning away from your sin and, and looking to Him. And so God saved me that day and began to change me really radically from that day on. A couple years later, I find myself, I'm in Bible college, and as I'm in Bible college, and I've been sort of walking with God a few years, it, it was tough. It, it was the first time I kind of began to sort of, I guess, feel the politics that can be in church and some of the pressures of, you know, theological debate, and, and I, it wasn't really, I wasn't really happy. And if I'm being really transparent, I was missing some of the things that I used to do before as a Christian. So you can't walk with Jesus and sleep around. You can't do that. You can't walk with Jesus and get drunk. You can't do that. And so even though I wasn't going into those things, there was a part of me that thinks, I kind of I miss that stuff. And so nobody knew I was thinking this stuff. I was just going on in my own heart, my own wrestlings. And so I began to really begin to investigate about if, if Christianity was true. How do I know this stuff is true? Yes, I had this huge experience that I can't deny I had. Yes, there's been so many positive changes in my life, but there's a lot of new difficulties as well. How do I know this is true? And so I began to look into what is often called apologetics, that is, a defense for the faith, the reason why we believe. And I came to a conclusion that not only... Uh, that there are good reasons for me to believe, but I'd actually be foolish to turn away from what I knew. Specifically about the resurrection of Jesus. I was convinced that Jesus was alive. The historical evidence was there. Jesus was alive. And all that did was confirm all the experiences that I had, including that epiphany that I was indeed pretty sinful and I needed a Savior. Now the thing is, with that understanding, with an understanding that there are it's reasonable to put my faith in the historical Jesus. With that understanding, sometimes came a temptation to think, okay, if I can just think things through, if I can just order my thoughts and have all the answers, then I'll be able to live the Christian life. And I had to realize that even with all the answers, I still have to walk by faith. And the reason I tell that story, the reason I wanted to give that part of my testimony is we are starting a series today a series that we will do every fourth Sunday, every Bring and Share Sunday this year, called Why Believe. And it's really an apologetic series. It's, 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 a, it's the kind of series that is, is meant to be a way that we can explain why you can believe. What, what are the reasons for the Christian faith? It's to, it's to make sure that you understand you don't have to kind of check your brain at the door when you come to church. You don't have to you know, commit intellectual suicide to be a believer. There's good historical reasons why we should trust the historical Jesus. And so that's the series. But before we get into all those reasons, I wanted to start off by today talking about what we even mean by believe. What do we mean by faith? 
What kind of faith should we have? If we're called to live by faith, what does that mean? What does that faith look like? We, 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 we're going to have a series of why believe, but what does it mean to believe? What is the faith that we're supposed to believe? And so I want to look at Mark chapter 2 and talk about that. Why is faith so important? What does it actually mean to have faith? What do we mean by believing? Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, And again he entered Capernaum, that's Jesus, entered Capernaum, and after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. And immediately he gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Now, Capernaum, this, this place on the Sea of Galilee, was, was the home of Peter and his brother Andrew and their families. And this became the base for where Jesus would do his ministry when he was ministering in this area of Galilee. And so when it says that he was in the house, he was in the house he lived in. This was, in a sense, him coming home after sort of a, a, a time of preaching around Galilee. And so what happens is he comes home, and of course the locals all hear, Jesus is home, we've got to go see him. And they go and they crowd his house. They, they've heard about the miracles he's done. They've heard about the things that he's preached. And they want to go crowd into Jesus. So they crowd in to see him. And what's interesting about this is that when, he, when they crowd in to see him, he doesn't start doing more miracles. He doesn't start healing them. He actually begins to preach the word to them. Literally, he begins to explain the truth of who he is and what he's going to do to them. Here's the kingdom. I'm the king. Here's what's up. He communicates to them. Now, what I want to do this morning is I want to give you basically four things that, that talk about why faith is important. And then the first thing we see in these verses is that faith is necessary for relationship. These people didn't come to Jesus' house when he wasn't there. They weren't coming to the building. The building wasn't important to them. They weren't coming to the house thinking there's something mystical about the house because Jesus lives in it. So let's just be in Jesus' house even when he's around somewhere else. No, they weren't searching the building. They were searching the person. They were seeking after the person. They wanted to be near him. That's why they were gathering so much together. That's why the crowd was there. And so when they go to see this person, what happens? This person, the person... Jesus himself wants to communicate with them. He begins to speak to them his words. Now this is important because when we're talking about the Christian faith, we're not talking about just believing certain ideas, certain creeds as we say. Those are important things. Those are true things. But we're believing those things because they are about this person. One of the things you have to understand about Christianity that's it's different than just some sort of religious idea or some sort of philosophy is that we believe strongly the scriptures reveal God to be a person. That is, not that just that God became a man, that he was human, but God himself has personhood. We are made in the image of God. We can relate to one another. We are made for relationship. You know what that is? Because God is relational. God is a person. So when we talk about faith, faith is a necessary aspect of having a relationship. None of you have a relationship with anybody that doesn't involve faith. When you have a relationship with somebody, you do so based in trust. This is why when trust is broken, relationships end. 
And depending on how serious that relationship depend, will, will determine how heavy that trust is, how much faith you put in. So in other words, when you, uh, you have a relationship with your barista, you go to get some coffee from your favorite barista. You say, I would like a flat white, please, or whatever the case might be. In my case, an Americano. I'd like an Americano, please. Black. And the thing is, is that when you order a black Americano, if he gives you a white Americano, you're not going to be too happy. You're going to go, I don't know if I can trust that guy. If it happens more than once or twice or three times, you're going to look for a new barista. Because I can't have a relationship with that barista if he keeps putting milk in my coffee. And it gets more intense the more intense the relationship is. You start dating somebody. You start seeing them. You think, okay, this might lead to something. And you think, okay, this is cool. Or we're dating now. There's an understanding. It's Facebook official, whatever you want to say. And you date that person for a while. What happens? You see them hanging out with somebody else, doing the same things with them that they do with you, holding hands, looking deeply into each other's eyes, having special talk. And what happens? The trust is broken, and you think, I can't continue in this relationship. You get my point. Relationships require trust. They require faith. And so when we're talking about faith, we're not just talking about believing certain things about something. We're talking about learning to trust a person. Can we trust the person of Jesus? Now, this is what Jesus says when he describes what eternal life is, what heaven is all about. He says this, this is eternal life. This is John 17, 3. This is eternal life that, you may, that they may know you, he's praying for people, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is the life that God's offering us. This is the life that Jesus is praying we would have. It's a life based on right relationship with him. This is what we're talking about when we talk about faith. Now, I'm not saying it's not important to understand and believe those creeds that we talked about or sang today. We'll talk more about that in a second. But we, we cannot forget this is about knowing a person. So what happens next? It says, Then they came to him, verse 3, bringing a paralytic, that's a paralyzed man, possibly someone who is a quadriplegic, who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Now this is interesting. Try to picture this scene, okay? It's Jesus' house. There he is, right, after a long ministry. The crowds are coming in like crazy to, to press into him, to be near him. He begins to preach to them, share with them the truth of who God is and what God's doing through him. And what happens, right? These guys here, hey, Jesus is in town. If we can get our friend who's crippled, if we can get him to, him, to, to Jesus, he'll be healed. They get there, it's too crowded. It's so what do they do. They actually do something that's pretty, well, pretty shocking. See, houses there, when you, we're talking about going through the roof, you're not talking about a pitched roof. As you've probably seen in Mediterranean uh, towns, uh, uh, that, that basically houses are built with flat roofs where you go up uh, in the evening where it's cool. They have outside staircases, so you walk to the flat roof from the outside. So what happens, they're all crowded in this house, and these four guys carry their friend up these outside stairs, and they begin to tear apart the clay roof. Now, I want you to think about what's happening when they're doing this. They're like digging through. There's mud. And so the guys that are inside the house are getting covered with dust. 
And, and you can imagine the scene when this is happening because as they're getting covered with dust, I can imagine the owner of the house going, what's going on? What are you doing? I just bought this furniture from Ikea and you're getting it all dirty, you know. That they're stressing out about what's going on. But these guys, listen, they're determined to get to Jesus. These guys knew that they couldn't heal their friend, but they knew who could. And so they were willing to do whatever it is to get to Jesus. In fact, it's interesting. They were willing, their, their priority to get to Jesus was so much so they were willing to rest, uh, risk the rejection of those people around them, their peers. Because, you know, people don't take kindly when you begin to tear, you know, their roof apart. But they didn't care. All they knew was their friend needed a touch from Jesus and they needed to do whatever it takes to get to Jesus. Now, there's a couple things here about faith that I want you to recognize. One is this, is that faith is always, always determines what our actions are going to be. And this is whether or not you believe in Jesus. You all, every single one of you, whether you believe in Jesus or not, you all walk by faith. You believe certain things, and those things that you believe dictate your actions. In fact, in a lot of ways, we know what we believe by what our actions are. Now, these guys, what do they believe? They believe that they couldn't heal their friend, but that Jesus could. They believed that Jesus, they must have believed that Jesus was going to be at least willing if they could just get him before Jesus, Jesus would be willing to heal them. Why? Because they were willing to take that big risk to get them or to get their friend to Jesus. Their faith was demonstrated by their actions. Again, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the series of Why Believe. We don't want you, again, to just ascend to certain truths that we uh, hold to doctrinally. We want you to understand about a life change. We want you to know Jesus personally so that your life will change. How you live will be radically different. See, as I shared my story earlier, I knew that if I was going to follow Jesus, I couldn't do the same things that I had done before. I knew that had to change. Why? Because if I actually believe in him, I've got to do the things that he says. If I actually believe that he is who he says he is, I've got to do the things that he says. Now, this is what the Scripture says. James puts it plainly. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You see, we're, we're going to talk about the importance. As we go through this series, we're going to talk about the importance of, of what it means to actually follow Jesus. Because let's be honest, one of the reasons why people don't want to become Christians is because they go, well, we see Jesus was probably worth following, but... We don't see very many Christians actually following him. There's so much hypocrisy in the church. We're going to talk about that. How can you believe when there's so much hypocrisy in the church? We're going to talk about that. Now, notice also what happens next. It says in verse 5, when Jesus saw, notice their faith. Whose faith? Well, the four men that were carrying the paralytic and probably the paralytic himself. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, does that seem odd to you? I mean, again, remember the scene. They're tearing up the roof, right? There's a light starts shining through the house. People are wiping the dust off their head and stuff. And all of a sudden, this crippled man gets lowered down to the ground. And everyone's thinking, what's going on? And Jesus doesn't say, hey, that was kind of rude, you know? <laughs> Private property and all that. What are you doing? He didn't say that. He didn't say to the man, hey, you're healed, at least not immediately. 
He just says to the man, son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, it seems a bit odd to us. It might even seem a bit rude. How does Jesus know that guy's got sins? But actually, Jesus is completely aware of what those people that were in that room would have assumed about sin and suffering. See, here's what we have to understand. That the Jews would have had this understanding that all sickness and suffering is connected to sin. So the idea is, okay, from a biblical standpoint, you have Adam, who's the representative of all humanity, and what happens? He disobeys God, and therefore all that are born after him get his sinful broken image, and the world is judged because of him, and therefore all sickness and death and disease comes because of Adam's sin. Now what they did is they took this idea, this this truth thing, this true thing that the Bible teaches, and they applied it to, hey, if you're sick or you have suffering, guess what? It's because you've sinned. Now, Jesus didn't necessarily affirm that. He didn't teach that. Look what Jesus says in John chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. Jesus says, now, says, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was uh, blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Now, Jesus was not saying that the blind man had never sinned in his life, nor that his parents had never sinned in their lives. He's saying that the blindness wasn't connected to that individual sin. Are you following me? So now, when Jesus says to this man who's a paralytic, your sins are forgiven, he's not necessarily saying, hey, you're paralyzed because you sinned, and that caused you to be paralyzed. Now, that could have been the case, but not necessarily so. What he was doing was getting to the root cause of all sickness and, and, and suffering and death. He was dealing with what causes it, which is sin. Now, this is the issue as well. Everyone in Jesus' day who, is, who believed in the God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when they were sick or they were suffering, they would probably assume, this has got to be somehow my fault. What have I done? What have I done to deserve this, Lord? Show me, please. Forgive my sins, please. I can't handle the consequence of this. So the most gracious thing that Jesus could say was, your sins are forgiven. So what's happening here really is Jesus is wanting to, he's wanting to encourage these guys in that sense of, you know what, you do have a need You've been aggressive in bringing your friends because they have a need to be healed. But what he needs more than just physical healing is he needs spiritual healing. He needs to be forgiven. He needs to be restored to God. Here's also what Jesus said about sinfulness and about man's sinfulness. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus said, What comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile a man. See, here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is affirming the fact that these guys have a need for forgiveness. In fact, it's their greatest need. 
That is mankind's greatest need. We have sinned against a good God, a holy God, and because we've sinned against that God, and He is good, He will have to deal with our sins. And our only hope is that He provides a way for him, Himself to rightly absorb our sin and forgive it. That's our only hope. Now this brings up the third thing about faith that we need to understand. Faith recognizes our greatest needs. This is the kind of faith that we want you to understand. We, when we're talking about why believe, again, not just creeds, but a, a personal understanding that you stand before a holy God and what you need more than anything is His mercy, His forgiveness, His grace. This is the faith that God wants to produce in us. Now what's amazing about this is that Jesus, of course, says your sins are forgiven and what happens in verse 6? Some of the scribes were sitting there and the reason in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but, God's alone, but God alone? Now, the scribes, you guys remember, were the religious kind of part of the religious leadership or the religious, religious hierarchy of their day. These were the guys that would copy out the scriptures for holy use. And because they were so familiar with the scriptures, they, were, they would study the scriptures, they would know scriptures, they were experts in the scriptures. Kind of like lawyers in a sense. Well, the scribes basically have the right idea. Only God that can forgive sins. That's the right idea. Biblically speaking, that's the right idea because here's the reality. When we sin, even when we sin against somebody else, we're actually ultimately sinning against God. And because we sin against God, we need God to forgive us. So they're right about that. But they came to the wrong conclusion. They thought, okay, if only God can forgive sins, it must be blasphemous for Jesus to say, you're forgiven. But it's only blasphemous if he's not God. If he is God, it's the actual right thing for him to say. Now here's what's amazing about this. Is that these, these religious leaders would eventually kind of all agree together. All the religious leaders of different kind of thoughts. You had the Sadducees who were kind of the liberals of the day and the Pharisees that were conservatives of their day. These guys would get together against Jesus believing that he was blaspheme, a blasphemer and demand his crucifixion because of that. And they would rally the, the, the common culture against Jesus to crucify him. Why? Because he was quick to forgive when only God can forgive. Well, what's interesting is this. What did Jesus say when he's on the cross? Right? He's being crucified. What does he say in Luke 23? As he's being crucified, Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Forgive them. Now this is important because we're talking about why believe? Why should we believe? We're talking about what it is that God is calling us to. And he's calling us to have a faith that not only knows how desperate our need is for grace, but also knows how abundantly God gives that grace. How quick God is to forgive. He's actually slow to anger. Now, what happens? Verse 8. But immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Arise, take up your bed, and walk. Now, he's asking a, a question here. He, he's, he's not telling them, Don't reason in your heart. Jesus is not saying to these religious guys, Stop thinking. He's actually trying to get them to think further. 
He's wanting them to think further about what they're, the conclusions they're coming to. They're thinking, okay, wait a second. Uh, this guy can't forgive. Okay, well, let me ask you this. You, you say only God can forgive. So in one sense, maybe it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because how can you test that, right? In another sense, it's more blasphemous to say that because only God can say such a thing. Only God can declare us forgiven. So he basically says, look, I, I'm gonna conf- I want to confirm to you that I am who you don't want to believe that I am. And so he says in verse 10, but that you may know the Son of Man, that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately he arose, took up his bed, and went out in the presence of them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Interesting. In verse 10, when it says that you may know the Son of Man has power, There's two things that he's doing there. One, when he says the Son of Man, he's using a phrase about himself that the religious leaders would have recognized. It's a a phrase that he is indeed the Messiah, God's chosen king. It was a phrase that Daniel uses in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. But also when he says that you may know the Son of Man has power, the word for power there is not the word that we usually use for like dynamic power, like the ability to do something. That, That idea is there, but it's more than that. It's the idea of authority that he not only has the ability to do it, he has the right to do it. He has the authority. This is what Jesus is wanting to get across to these guys. He's wanting these people to know, he says that, that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says, I want you to know how good that authority is. See, here's the thing. When we talk about God, and we're going to talk about why we believe there actually is a God. We'll talk about that next month. The, the, the idea sometimes is in our mind that, you know, hasn't sort of science replaced God? We get our answers and our information and our security from scientific knowledge. Hasn't science replaced God? We're going to answer that question next month. But just stay with me now. If we believe there's a God, I want you to think about this. If there's a God, our only hope is that he's good. Seriously. What if there's a God and he's not good? What if he's a sadistic monster and we're just like little ants and he's trying to burn us with a magnifying glass? Seriously, what could we do about it? Our only hope, if there is a God, is that he's good. So when Jesus comes on the scene, what do we see? We see the goodness of God incarnated. We see someone who shows the authority of God. I have the right to forgive sins, Jesus would say. Not just the authority over over that, but he shows the authority over sickness, we'll see over death, the the authority over evil spirits, the authority over creation itself, the natural world. He shows all this authority, why? Not just to demonstrate that that exists, that is part of it, (coughs) but to demonstrate that it's good, that his is a good authority. Isaiah says this to God's people. In Isaiah 1.18, he says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They are, though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Come, let's reason together. This is the thing about faith that I want you to understand. Faith actually increases our understanding. God never calls you to stop thinking, just believe. He calls you to believe so you can think 
more and more rightly. This series that we're going to do, this Why Believe series, we're hopefully going to communicate it in a way that people who are maybe unchurched or de-churched can have their answers met. But it's not just about trying to convince people intellectually. We want people to know Jesus. We want to introduce people to this person of Jesus. Why? Because I think if they think about it, we believe if they think about who he is and what he's done, they're going to realize, wow, though my sins are as scarlet, he washes them white as snow. We want them to know that. 